0: That's what Peggy was reading. So take your Bible and turn to Psalm 90. And it's good to see that uh, Dolly caught is sitting here at this table in front of me, <laughs> instead of behind me. She said she was sick and tired of seeing my profile <laughs> in the back of my ear. So uh, I said, "Well, you need to sit over there." Jim your is home. and Paula uh, said, "You know," and. I said, don't take a shower on Sunday mornings. You'll be in the spitting zone. Uh, You know, everything will be taken care of. Anyway, Psalm 90, that's about as far as I can go on my jokes. Okay, here we go. Uh, This psalm talks about the shortness of life. The transitory nature of human existence. Especially in compared to God's existence, which lasts forever. We live, you know... Uh, a very very transitory life. The purpose of this psalm is to motivate us in the short time that we have to live wisely and to live productively for God's glory. So I'm going to outline this psalm the following way. Verses 1 through 12, it's going to talk about the shortness of life. Verses 1 through 12, the shortness of life. And he's going to relate the reason that our life is short is because we sin. And that's what shortens our life, sin. And then the second part of the psalm covers verses 13 through 17. And this talks about the blessings of life that we can experience even though it's short. When we live for God's glory. Each one of these sections opens with the word Lord. You'll see in verse uh, one, Lord, capital O, capital R, capital D. That is God's <coughs> covenant name. God has made a covenant or an agreement with his people. And uh, so that's how the psalmist addresses God. And then the second sec- section opens in verse 13 Return, O Lord, capital L O R D. The only two times the word is used, and each time it opens a section. Okay? So let's look at this psalm, and let's start with the superscription that's found over top of the first verse. Notice, in the superscription, this psalm is identified as a prayer. Everything in verses 1 through 17 is a prayer. The first part of the prayer, the psalmist is talking to God directly and making declarations, affirming certain things. And then, beginning in verse 13, he starts Asking God for things so the second part of the psalm is a petition petitionary prayer. Okay, so it's identified as a prayer Second of all notice the superscription the psalm is attributed to Moses uh, And what we'll see is that many themes in this psalm Are found originally in Deuteronomy 32 33 and 34 now I'm not going to turn us there But a good place to start if we had like an hour would be to go back to Deuteronomy 32, 33, and 34, and then read Psalm 90 and would see some of those themes are repeated. Some of the thoughts that Moses had in Deuteronomy, he repeats in Psalm 90. And so, Moses is the author. Now notice how Moses is identified. He's called the man of God. He's God's man. He is therefore uh, praying... Uh, he is the representative the people's representative to God and he's praying on their behalf and he's God's representative to the people and this is a song that he has written a prayer that's put to music and it is meant to convey God's will for our lives so anyway that's the superscription so let's look at section number one the shortness of human life notice how it starts off verse one Lord you have been our dwelling place In or for all generations. Now, the word dwelling place can mean our refuge. You've been our refuge. You've been our sanctuary. You've been our safe house. Something like that. Uh, You've been the one to whom we've run, you know, when we were in danger. Uh, How long has He been their dwelling place or their? safe house or their refuge it says in all generations notice that so <clears throat> moses is speaking to god on behalf of the jewish people israel and he is saying you have been israel's refuge dwelling place when we were in egypt that's where our dwelling place was but in reality we you know we ran to you for refuge We weren't trusting the Egyptians to take care of us. We were trusting you to take care of us in the midst of the situation. When we were in the wilderness and we didn't have any permanent dwelling place, we turned to you. You were our sanctuary. You you were our dwelling place. And so, and it was for all generations. There was never a time that Israel didn't turn to God. So the word all generations speaks of history. Puts this verse in history. Now, Verse 2, however, moves us from history to eternity. So look at verse number 2. Look what it says. Before the mountains were brought forth, or you ever had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you were God. Now, when you look at that verse, this deals with things that happened before creation. So we're dealing with eternity. So we move from verse 1, history, to verse 2, eternity. Now, the key statement is the last part of verse 2. You are God. That's a sentence, isn't it? You are God. There's a subject and there's a verb and there's a direct object. You are God. Everything else in the verse modifies that sentence. When were you God? Well, look what it says. Before the mountains were brought forth. You're God. Look. Before you ever formed the earth and the whole world, guess what? You're God. Now, there are a lot of gods in the world at the time Moses writes this, but no god ever existed before creation. All the other gods, the pagan gods, are creation of man's mind and imagination, right? They are idols. They're false gods. There's only one god from all eternity, and he's the one who created the world. He lived in eternity and he created the world. Now, notice the language is very interesting. It sort of pictures God as pregnant, as a mother. See, look at this. Before the mountains were what? Brought forth, see? Delivering a baby. So we see God who's the one who gives birth to this creation. Look at this. Or, you had ever formed the earth and the world. Notice that's the... Uh, a baby is being formed in its mother's womb, you know, over nine months. So we see that this is a picture of God who uh, is a personal God. He's involved. He doesn't just say, let there be light and there's light, although that's true. He has invested his energy in that. He's like a mother who has to go through agony to give birth. Birth wasn't just like God going, "Ah, everything's in existence. Ha, ah, now that's a girl. So That's no investment at all, is it? But if you have to carry the baby for 9 months, (laughs) that's an investment. (laughs) And how about if you knew that the baby you were carrying for 9 months would grow up to be Hitler? And God with his foreknowledge (laughs) who's going to give birth to this creation and all the people knows what the mess is going to be. There's there's even a sorrow in this creation. Can think of something along that. So he's using very flowery, very, very uh, symbolic language, metaphoric language that we should think upon these things. We shouldn't just read the verse and just go, on, now what's verse three? Come on, Street, you're wasting too much time. And I am, but I want you to know that, that I want you to think when you're reading the verse. You know, That's what I'm trying to teach my students at the college, how they can read a verse and say, well, what's he trying to say here? There's some sort of a investment of God in this and he was God from everlasting to everlasting so from everlasting to everlasting when is he not God never he's always God this is the eternal God that we serve now he talks about the mortality of man so if God is eternal guess what we are mortal so look at verse number 3 you turn man to destruction. And you say, Return, O children of men. Return what? Return to the dirt. Dust thou art, and dust thou shalt return. So this is talking about the mortality of human beings. Notice he says, You turn man to destruction. Death is God's doing. He's the one... Now, sin is the the reason why we die. But God's the one that controls our days. And uh, he says, okay, now it's time for you to return. And God is, in a sense, he's blaming God or he's decreeing that uh, the reason that we die is sin, as we're going to see. But God has a hand in all of this. Okay? So, when God says to Adam and Eve, Thus thou art and thus thou shalt return... It's based on the fact that he has now put a tree in the garden. And he says, "Of every tree you may eat but one, and if you eat that tree, you're going to what? You're going to die. So he warns them. And then they eat it, and he says, well, thus thou art and thus thou shalt return. So we see that the wages of sin is death, and wages are something that we earn. Everyone dies because they earned it. The wages of sin is death. That's what you earn. That's what you deserve. You work 40 hours a week, guess what? You deserve pay for 40 hours a week. If you sin, you deserve pay for sin. And what's the payment for sin? Death. And God has decreed that. So here we see the mortality of human beings. Look at verse 4. He says, basically you're going to die. For a thousand years, in your sight, are like yesterday when it is past. Now, this is a simile. We're going to see two similes. For those of you who forgot your English, a simile is when a sentence uses what kind of word? The word like. Like. Okay? So now he's going to describe our life as like something. So notice what he said. He says in verse 4 For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday. When it is past. Even people who lived in Bible times nearly a thousand years long. Like Methuselah. He lives 969 years. Methuselah. To God it was like what? What does it say in verse 4? It was like yesterday when it was past. That's what our lives are like to God. To God who lives for eternity... Everlasting, everlasting. And a little bit of time on earth. is like yesterday to God when it's past. (laughs) Now, I want you to know, today will be yesterday, tomorrow. Right? (laughs) And uh, let me tell you something. Vernon's having his 98th birthday. But guess what? Tomorrow, yesterday will be gone. It'll just be a memory. And that memory will fade. So, you know, when you think of what, what did you do yesterday? You can't even remember some of the things you did yesterday. It's the craziest thing. And that's how it is with God. Our, our lives compared to God is just like a, a blink. It's here today, gone tomorrow. It's yesterday. See, that's what he's saying. Compared to God's eternality, our mortality like yesterday to God. Here one day and gone the next. So that's the first simile. Now look at the second simile in verse 4. It's like a watch in the night. It's like, you know, the first simile was like yesterday when it's passed. Well, yesterday was a full day. In fact, he wants to modify that to, you know, to God our life isn't even like a full day. It's like a night watch, which is only four hours long. <laughs> You know, there were four watches at night and each one was four hours. <laughs> and he's saying it's it's not even a full day <laughs> compared to God's God's life. Our day is even our life is even shorter than a day. And the amazing thing is when we think of our lives, we think of we act like we're gonna live forever. We're full of humor. We think of all the things that we've accomplished. What's my legacy gonna be? Well let me tell you. Your legacy's like yesterday. <laughs> it's bad. That's what it's like. So we think that we live long and we try to live longer. But in God's eyes, no matter how long we live, even if we live a thousand years like a Methuselah nearly did, to God, it's like a wink. It's like a blink. Okay, does that make sense? So here's the reality. Let's look at verse 5. You carry them, that's people in our lives, you carry them Away like a flood. Now, we've had floods recently. So, you know what it's like when you look at that house flowing down the river, and that flood has grabbed a house, or it's grabbed a car, or it's grabbed a human being, or whatever it is, and those flood raging flood waters are gone. You say, Look, there's a house! And then suddenly, it's gone. That's how swift the current is. That's how swift your life is to God. It's like a flood just taking you downstream and you're here one second and you're out of sight the next second it doesn't take very long to get rid of when the floodwaters rage that's what our life is like look what else he says in verse 5 our lives are like sleep but you know what it is to sleep you sleep for 8 hours you wake up and it seems like you've only been asleep for what? a minute you can't even remember the dreams that you have all of us have at least 2 dreams a night We know that's the scientific investigation of the brain. You can't even remember your dreams. Our entire life, no matter how long it is, is like sleeping eight hours and you can't even... It seems like you just went to bed. Closed your eyes and you wake up. Oh, it's morning already. Just like that. That's what our lives are like. Our lives, we can say, are short. So, our lives are like sleep. Look what else it says in verse 5. In the morning... Our lives are like grass, which grows up. Ah, oh, it's a new day, new opportunity. That's what it's like when we wake up, you know. For children, hey, it looks like you had a growth spurt. You must grow three inches overnight. That's what he's describing here. He's describing that our life when we wake up is like grass. Okay? Now, it's very interesting when he says this. Look who he talks about in verse Three, he says, "You turn man." You see that? You turn man. Look at also in verse three, and you say, "Return, O what, children of men?" See. Look at verse four. Verse five. You carry them away like a flood. See. They are like sleep. In the morning, they are grass. You see that. So. Every one of us is in the same boat. Our lives are short in comparison with to God. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but some people are in this category called the they category. And others are in the our category. See, so there's two categories. There's the they's and there's the us's. <laughs> the us's are those who are living under the covenant of God and we're faithful to God. Our life is short. There's no doubt about it. Christians have no advantage over other people when it comes to the length of life. But some who aren't Christians, there's a certain uh, description here, how he just carries them away, you know, things like this. And then they get up and they grow. Now watch this. Look at verse 6. It's very interesting. In the morning. See, look, verse, in the verse 5. In the morning, they, they are like grass which grows up. Now watch this. In the morning it flourishes. Our life flourishes. Now remember, he's just telling us what our life is like. Our life is like going to sleep and waking up the next morning. Very short. Now look at verse 6. In the morning it flourishes and it grows up. In the evening it is cut down and it withers. So what he does is he describes at the end of verse 5 and verse 6, beginning of verse 6, our life is like grass. Now, I got up this morning and my grass was longer than it was yesterday. Okay. And then he describes so that's what it's like your life is like. It looks, everything's flourishing. See verse 6? Everything's, your life is like grass. It's flourishing. It's growing like weeds. In fact, it probably is weeds. Look, it grows up. But then look what he says. That's very short-lived, because in the evening, guess what you do? You get on the lawnmower, and what do you do? You cut it down, and that grass, which in the morning was that tall, it just cut right off. And everything that's cut off is dead. That which is cut off is dead. That which was alive in the morning is dead by the evening because it's been mowed. That's what your life is like. Your life is like one day. The life, like the life of grass for one day, Then in the morning it looks like it's flourishing and the evening is cut down. So, now remember, he's not talking about grass. What's he talking about? He's talking about people. And that's what our lives are like. See, our life, lives are, are like grass. So when we grow old, as we grow old, we grow up. When we grow old, we grow more mature we're like the grass. It's flourishing and growing and everything looks green. Everything looks great. And then one day, guess what? It's mowed right down. We've been mowed down just like that. Humans are not like oak trees. Humans are like grass. The difference between a blade of grass that blows in the wind and a strong oak tree that lasts for hundreds of years. Now, he explains why life is short. Okay, look at verse 7. Here, why life is short. Verse 7. Because we have been consumed by your anger. We've been consumed by your anger. Uh, if you consume something, what's left of it? When it's consumed, it means it's what? It's gone. And it's God's anger that causes death and causes us to be basically gone. You know, and to die. Because God's angry with us because of sin. Look what else he says in verse 7. And by your wrath, we are terrified. See, this is all God's doing. Death, God has his hand in the death process. Uh, Death is not by accident. It's not accidental death. Ah, he had an accident. No, it's not an accidental death. God has his hand in it. And when we die, that is, in a sense, the wages of sin. Death. You say, well, I'm forgiven. Well, guess what? You're going to die anyway. So... (coughs) When you say the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is the eternal life through Jesus Christ, that doesn't mean you're not going to die. You are going to die. All that means is at the end, you're going to be raised up and have eternal life. But we're all in the same boat when it comes to death, and, and it's because God is angry because of sin, and sin has to be judged. Okay? And Jesus died, didn't he? He died for our sins. So anyway, so we are terrified of God's of God because we know that when we die we're going to, have to face God and that's how the whole human race is. People aren't happy with death so our death is called an enemy. So, now look at this. Verse 8. Notice it talks about God knowing our, our sinful conditions. You have set <coughs> Moses says to God you've set our iniquities before you. Just think about that for a moment. Before him. Our secret sins in the light of your countenance. Here is a picture of God setting our sins right in front of Him. A lot of us think that we can sin and get away with. No one sees us. God sees us. You can't sin by long distance with God. Uh, You say, well, He's way over there. Maybe He won't sin. You guess what? He he takes your sin He puts it right in front of face. Even your hidden sins. Things have been done in dark in private. No one knows about. In the light of God's countenance, God's countenance shines down and exposes your sin. So God knows our sin. This is not a good thought, (laughs) that God knows our sin. So uh, you can't sin and get away with it. And then he says in verse 9, for, because our days have passed away. Now look at this. Our days have passed away in your wrath. You see that? In your wrath. That's why we are passing away, because the wrath of God says, the wages of sin is death. We're all in that same boat. Verse 8. Verse 9. For all of our days have passed away. Yes, I may live to be a hundred, but all those hundred years will just pass away, dissipate. In your wrath. We finish our years, verse nine says. Like a triple crown winner who rushes across the finish line. No. Like one of the Williams sisters who just wins a Grand Slam. No. You finish your life with a a sign. You're like we're like a battery, a battery that's running down. Batteries don't get stronger; they run down. Flashlights don't lights in the flashlight don't get brighter; they get dimmer and dimmer and dimmer and dimmer until finally the battery dies and it goes machines go and then that's it, right? So that's what our life is like. Uh, we wear out. We wear out. Look what he says in verse 10. He makes some observations here. The days of our lives are 70 years. Now, Bob, who was an actuary, he can tell you exactly what the average life of a person in America is, probably 74 to 77, something like that. Would that be right, Bob? That's correct. Right. That's correct. Right. <laughs> that's the average person. So... You know, when somebody dies at forty, that means that our average, we are probably gives us an advantage in a sense. But overall, that's what it is. It's, was that in Moses day, it was that Moses' day was seventy. And guess what? About the same today. That's the way it is. That's verse ten. What else he say in verse ten? And if by reason of strength, if you just happen to have a good constitution, you know, good genes, all those things, your days might be eighty years you'll live a little longer. And that's true, isn't it? still says that it ends with a sigh. Whether you live to be 70 or you live to be 80, it ends with a sigh. So he says, but if you have good DNA, you know, whatever, good genes, you might live to be 80, but then look at the next word in verse 10. Yet. <laughs> that's not a good word, is it? <laughs> you can say, you live to be 100. You can say what? Yet. <laughs> you know you're in trouble. Say so... Yet, their boast <coughs> is only labor and sorrow, which basically means it doesn't matter whether you live to be a hundred or you live to be a hundred and five. In the end, it's laborious. It's sorrow in the end. <laughs> it's it's hard, you know. Labor is hard, and that's what we have here. It's uh, difficult. The older you get, the more difficult. If you happen to be... Over 70, and it's not difficult, Well, just wait until you get to be 80. And if you make it, well, wait till you're 90. And it just gets harder. just the way that our bodies wear down, and it's very laborious, and it's sorrowful. And sorrowful for me already, because there are things I could do when I was younger, and I can't do it anymore. I mean, not only can't I do it by trying harder, I can't do it. I just can't do it. And so it's not only harder, I'm sorry to say I can't do it. (laughs) So that's, you know, I'm experiencing this and all of us experience that when we reach a certain age. And for each one of us it's a little different. So then he asks a question, who knows the power of your anger? I don't, I mean, I don't want to know, I mean I know it scares me when I think of how furious God can be. I mean that he can just do what he wants because he's all powerful. It's very scary. That's why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and people who don't fear the Lord are foolish. You know, so he asks that question. He says, "You know, who knows the power of your, your anger? And as for the fear of you, so is your wrath." In other words, I might fear God and think His anger is bad, but let me tell you, it's worse than I could even anticipate. So, no matter how much I fear His wrath, at least meets my expectations, probably more. So now we come to the last verse, verse 12, and it begins one of six petitions. Verse 12 ends the first section and is a transition into the second section of the psalm. So here's how he ends section one. Remember section one is about God, you're eternal, our life is short, it's obvious that we're going to die and death is a result of you being angry with sin and all these kinds of things. So in light of all of this, look at verse 12. In light of all of this. So. So in light of what we've just read. I want to make a request. Teach us to number our days. Help us not to think that we're going to live forever. Help us not to think more of ourselves than we ought. Help us to contemplate the shortness of life. Help us to calculate our days. Bob was an actuary, he calculated days. And sometimes he didn't have good news. He can tell you, however old you are, how much longer you have to live, according to the statistics. Isn't that right, Bob? Exactly right. He was always calculating days. That's what we need to do. I don't know if I'm going to live to be 70. By the way, I'm 69. But she shows you how old I am. I'm ready for... If I can just get to 70 and a half, guess what I can get? I'm calculating my days, do I get full Social Security? (laughs) And when I do that, I'm a free person. (laughs) I (laughs) hope, if I'm not miscalculating my days. So, anyway, so watch this. Um, Yeah, I know it's a while. That's what I think. When I think how old I am, I just go, I do that sigh. Am I that old? I was just 17. I was just playing baseball, I was hitting baseball. I was challenging people. I tried to take that extra base. I mean, what's happened to you, Street? Look at this. You're an old man. So look what he says. He says in verse 12. I guess that's where we still are. I don't even know where I am. So teach us to number our days. You know, we calculate everything else. We we contemplate and calculate our savings account that so we have enough money to retire. We calculate how much property we own. We calculate everything. What our health insurance costs. Uh, our taxes, we calculate everything. One thing that people, especially Christians, are weak on is calculating their days. We don't really think about death. We don't. We want to put that out of our mind. But we need to contemplate on the shortness of life. Why should we do that? Look at the end of verse 12. Here's the purpose, David. So that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In other words, you need to calculate the shortness of life so that you'll spend the rest of your time on earth, the time that you have left wisely. Now I would suggest it would be better to calculate the shortness of life when you're a teenager, you're in your twenties, than to wait until you're in your seventies. It would be much better to contemplate the shortness of life so that for the next 50 or 60 years, you could gain a heart of wisdom. But even if you haven't done it when you're young, you need to do it now. So we need wisdom. And wisdom doesn't come with age, necessarily. There's no fool like an old fool. But you don't have to be an old fool. You can have a heart full of wisdom. But that takes contemplating the shortness of life. So that ends section one. And that's his first request. Section two are the last five requests that he makes. These are all petitions. Look what he says in verse 13. Return, O God, which means turn back to us, O God. Now, I've taught you this, and when he says turn back to us, O God, why would he have to say that? Because God has turned his back on them, <laughs> right? So obviously there's something going on. They haven't contemplated the shortness of life. They just lived in sin. Uh, like all of us do, we sin and think we can do it with impunity, even Christians. And so he says, God, you need to turn back to us. Okay, And he asks the question, how long? How long will it be before you turn back to us? How long will it be before we see your favor rather than your wrath? There are people who live their lives and they, and they get their lives in messes for 40 and 50 years. And it's because God's not blessing them. And he's turning their back on them because they turned their back on God. And so... He says, how long will it be, O Lord, before you turn back? He says, "In of verse 13, have compassion on your servants. Now notice, this isn't on lost people. This is on people who serve God. You see that? Moses is one of his servants. So he says, how long will you, before you have compassion on your servants? And that word compassion is one of those covenant words. It means loving kindness, mercy, uh, You know, covenant compassion. Uh, showing us covenant love. How long will it be before we can experience your covenant love again? So that's the first question. <clears> our <throat> first, first petition is return to us and have compassion on your servant. He doesn't know whether God's going to answer this quickly or not. He just doesn't know how long it will be. Okay, now look at the next request. Verse 14. Oh, satisfy us early with your mercy. That's another one of those covenant words. Your loving... Same word as compassion. Just in English it's different. For some satisfy us with your mercy. Here's the purpose. Here's why we sh- want God to satisfy us with his compassion, his kindness, and mercy. That we may what? Rejoice and be glad all our days. See? That's why. So we should be thinking about the shortness of life very early on in our existence. So that we can experience God's loving compassion that he will carry out his covenant promises and blessings to us. So that we can, verse 14, rejoice and be glad all our days. And by the way, if you haven't contemplated the shortness of life yet, do it now so that you can experience rejoice and experience God's blessings the rest of your days. Right? That's what the... That's what he asked for. That's his second request. Now look at the next request. Verse 15. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us. Make us glad according or in accordance to or in comparison to to the days in which you have afflicted us. In other words, we've been afflicted for 15 years. Well, give us 15 years of blessing. Balance things out. You know? Uh, Now, it's not going to happen until we start contemplating the shortness of life and we turn to God and begin to cry out for His blessing. But what we ask for is that, Lord, uh, make up for the time of sorrow and fear that we experience. Balance it out. We've come to our senses. Now, Lord, bless us the rest of our life. That's a prayer that each one of us can ask. Good verse 16. Let your work appear to your servants. Let your work appear to your servant. Let us see your, handy work, your your hand in our lives. We want to see that, hey, oh, in this situation, I see where God's hand was there. I was heading this way and he did this. Help us to see your hand in our lives. That's what we want God to intervene in our lives. I'd like to see God's hand in my life. Whether it's the hand of healing, whether it's, you know, whatever it is. And then he says, And your glory, into verse 16, Let your work appear to your servants, and let your glory appear to their children. We want not only to see your hand and experience your blessings in our lives, we want it to be for the next generation as well. Isn't that what you want for your children? Your grandchildren? That's what we want. But it starts with us. If we don't get our lives right, you know, the Scripture talks about the sin that passes down from generation to generation. Blessings like passed down from generation to generation as well. And it can start right with you. You can have an effect on generations to come. When you're gone, long gone, God can bless those of your descendants long after you're gone because you've contemplated the shortness of life. And then finally, he ends in verse 17. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. And that beauty means allow his face to shine upon us and smile upon us. Uh, may we reflect God's beauty. May we reflect God's grace. May his face shine upon us. In a sense. Versus his anger. See, Let the beauty of the Lord be upon us. Before, what was upon them? His anger, his wrath. We don't want that. We want your beauty upon us. And then he says this. Establish the works of our hands for us. Help us to be productive. Help what we do have lasting value. Establish the work of our hands for us. A lot of people are trying to build their legacy. They're trying to establish a legacy. Hey, we're asking God to establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, he says, establish the work of our hands. So help us to be productive and have and do work that has a lasting value. So when I saw that I thought of this verse and this is what the Apostle Paul says and I'll just read it to you and then I'll tell you the verse. He says, Therefore my brethren be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. See, does not doesn't that sound like the last verse of Psalm 90? It says it says, Lord, establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. In other words, so it's not in vain. Everything that we do has lasting value. So, like other psalms, this is one of those psalms that's uh, connected to God, who is Lord, capital L-O-R-D, and his covenant. And with his covenant comes (coughs) blessings and cursings, Deuteronomy chapter 28. For those who keep his covenant and are obedient, blessing. For those who don't, wrath, disappointment, discouragement, Cursing. So... What we want to do is to contemplate the shortness of life, get our lives in accordance with God's will, and experience the blessing for not only our generation, but the generations to come. Next week we'll deal with Psalm 91, which is uh, 16 verses, one verse less. Lord, we thank you for Psalm 90. You have been our dwelling place for all generations. We always know that we can run to you for refuge. You are a place of safety. Help us, Lord, to not only know that, but help us to do that. Help us to count our days. Help us to realize that we are mortal. You are immortal. But through Christ, we can have immortality. And that we can be resurrected. Our bodies which suffer from, this, from sin, the effects of sin, will one day be raised. We'll be in your kingdom. We will rule and reign with you. Lord, that's what we want. Help us now to make the turn that we need to make. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you.